We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse number 6. John chapter 1, verse number 6. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave the, he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, Lord. I pray that you'll help the, the physical side of us to be set aside for a moment, Lord, and that we, through the moving of your spirit in our hearts, our hearts are softened and opened up to the importance of this text, of this portion, Lord. I pray that you'll give me the words to speak and the strength to speak them. Lord, I thank you for those who gathered here this morning in your house, not to hear me speak, but to magnify your name, and even more to gain this morning a greater understanding of this word that you have preserved for us throughout all of the ages. Lord, for those who are not able to make it with us this morning, Lord, if they're sick or afflicted, we petition you as the great physician to put your loving hand upon them to apply the balm that they need in their life. For those who stayed home, Lord, yeah, for other reasons, Lord, I, only you know, Lord. I pray that you prick their hearts and, and stir into their hearts the words of Hebrews 10.25 about forsaking the assembly of themselves. Lord, I pray that we come together here this morning unified in wanting to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we set out last week in, in the study of the book of John, we find it interesting that John does not take the approach of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He doesn't set out to explain to us the lineage of Christ as Matthew does, proving that he is linked to the line of David. He doesn't set out like Mark does to show the servanthood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He doesn't set out like Luke does to show that he was the Son of Man, but instead John set out to declare the most important thing on his heart, and was that was to prove that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God. He, he would continue on to this point. Time after time, John will bring the reader or the hearer back to this validation. He says in the tw uh, 20th ver chapter and the 31st verse, but these are written, meaning the entire epistle here, this, this gospel is written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So he stated in the first five verses that 
remembering that John's emphasis is to, to declare to us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So in the first five verses, he lays out to us that not only is Jesus Christ the Son of God, not only is he God, but he has always been and that he always will be. He further emphasized that all things that was created was created by him and for him. But in our verses this morning, again, John has set out to explain to us the importance of these verses, the importance of what recorded here. And then we have to question ourselves, how does this further validate and prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Here in verses 6 through 13, John has set out to draw our eyes to the witness of the word, that being the John the Baptist. I mean, really, uh, this was an earth-shattering moment. John the Baptist would arrive on the scene after four centuries, after 400 years of silence, no prophet, no word from the Lord, no message from the Lord. John the Baptist would arrive on the scene and begin to de declare the truths of God's word. He would call the sinners to repent. He would call them to look unto Christ. But why and how does this prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, the answer is simply this, is that John the Baptist was prophesied of old in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, John the Baptist oftentimes is called the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We understand and even all of Israel understood that there was a coming Messiah that they understood what it meant in Psalms 22 and uh, 24. They understood that the Messiah would one day come, but they knew that prior to the Messiah coming, there would be a, this arrival of this man who was like Elijah. As a matter of fact, Scripture would say that this man who would arrive prior to the Messiah, he would have the spirit of Elijah upon him. So in all of the Gospels, it doesn't matter where you go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, very quickly in the first, in the beginning parts of the chapters, you will read about John the Baptist. Because without John the Baptist, there is no true link of pointing to the Messiah. But with the arrival of John the Baptist, the bridge has been built. Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled. Whether it's in Isaiah or whether it's in Malachi that had prophesied of the arrival of the Messiah, but first the forerunner. So this is why all of the gospels set out to emphasize the arrival of John the Baptist. Because he was prophesied as the forerunner of Christ. So even more here, the apostle John, as he's laid out, before us in this first chapter, we see in the first five verses of who Jesus is. In verses 6 through 13, he sets out to draw you to the witness of the word. He draws your eyes to this man named John the Baptist. In verse number 14, he'll go on to tell us about the incarnation of the word. And then from verses 15 on, he tells us what the witness to the word was saying, meaning 
verses 15 on are the actual words of John the Baptist. But first, here we see in the text, the existence, the arrival of John the Baptist was important in proving that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Even more, little to us is known about the early life of John the Baptist. Uh, we know that John's name means graced by God or one that God has shown grace upon. We understand through the reading of the other Gospels that Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, John's mother, were cousins, which would put Jesus and John as second cousins, and there was some six months of time between them. But even more, Scripture points out in the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth that when Mary would arrive there and meet her cousin Elizabeth, Scripture would say that even there in that moment, John would leap in her womb with excitement, just knowing that Jesus had arrived. Even more, it would go on to say that in that moment when John would leap in her womb, that Elizabeth would be filled with the Holy Spirit. There was excitement in John's life about the arrival of Jesus Christ. As I said, little is known about the, arrival, uh, the early life of John the Baptist outside of the fact that he lived in the wilderness, he ate locusts and honey, and he wore camel's hair with a leather belt. But why is this? Why is this the only facts that we know about John the Baptist outside of his early life? Because these are the facts that we need to see to connect them to Old Testament prophecy. Elijah in the Old Testament was said that he wore camel's hair and a leather belt. In the Old Testament, we would read about these things about Elijah and John the Baptist's arrival. He would arrive, and as he began to preach, Scripture would also say that not only did he preach with power, he preached with boldness, but he too had camel's hair and a leather belt. And even too with him, many thought that, is this possibly Elijah? He preached with such power and zeal. The apostle is tying in again the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, if you was to have John the Baptist in our circles today, it's probably certainly to say that he would not fit in in all churches. John the Baptist preached with boldness. He preached against sin. He called even further the sinner to repentance. Even more when he found himself faced amongst the highest officials of our day, he stood with boldness and even condemned the rulers of that day for even taking his sister's wife. John did not waver for whom he stood in front of. He, did never, he never cowered to authority. Even more, I seen this the other day that John MacArthur came out and took a stand against the Billy Graham ministries because after one of the people from the Billy Graham ministries met with the Mormon church, they removed the Mormon church from cult churches that exist today, seeking to not cause conflict. Pressure from the day has caused people to cave and collapse and take a stand against corrupt places to claim to be holders of the light of this world. 
Even more, John the Baptist would have never cowered. He would have never turned away. He would have withstood them to their face and preached the truth of God's word. He never cared about popular opinion. He never cared about apparel, obviously, a camel hair and a leather belt. He never cared about what people looked at him and thought. The only thing he cared about was getting people to the light of the life. Even more, recognize that John was so committed. This was the kind of zeal that John had. He was so committed to the truth of God's word that he knew it would cost him his own life, and he did not waver. This is the reality that we must all understand about the truth of God's Word. If you will stand for truth, it will cost you. It will cost you your friends. It will cost you your family. It will cost you when you stand. It will cost you when you just testify about what Christ has done in your life. There is cost to serving the Lord. Even more, verse number 6, we see really in the introduction of John that the first thing that John the Apostle wants to make clear about John the Baptist, he didn't arrive here on his own desires. He didn't arrive on the scene with his own plans. He wasn't a guy who was just trying to make a change in today's society because he was trying to leave his own footprint in history. The first thing that John sets out to emphasize about John the Baptist in verse number 6 is that there was a man sent from God. The arrival of John the Baptist was divine. It wasn't like other men. There was a man sent from God. Now, if you were listening last week, I suppose the first thing that should come to your mind when you read this about verse number 6, when you see... There was a man sent from God as the word was. We've seen in John chapter 1 and verse 1 when he said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, is that this word was, in verse number 1, comes from the Greek word en, which is the state of continual existence. It is not the state of beginning or an end, but it is to say about someone who is always been and always will be. So John sets off in verse 1 to say the Word was God and the Word was with God. He always was. He's always has been. So then we ask ourselves in verse number 6 when he said, there was a man sent from God. This word was, is this the state that this is the same truth about this man named John? No, indeed, it's a, a completely different word altogether to say that this in word was there was a man sent from God it comes from the Greek word gnomi which if you were looking for an application or to uh, further understand what that means it is the same word that is used in verse number three all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made it is a word here to bring about existence, something that is brought into existence, something that began to be, uh, something that um, received being. So when he said there was a man sent from God, the first thing that you could step back and say is, look what John has set out to do. 
the first thing he wants to emphasize to you that there's a difference between the person he introduced you to you to in verse number one and the person he introduced you to in verse number six. The person you met in verse number one has always been. He always will be. He will always continue to be. But the person I introduced you to in verse number six came into existence. He was created. He had a beginning. And he would certainly have an end. See, John is painting this huge difference between Jesus and John the Baptist. Now understand, that Jesus would say that there was no greater man born of a woman than that of John the Baptist. Yet, even there, there was no greater man born of a woman. There was a dynamic difference between Jesus and John the Baptist. There was many great men in history. Just John the Baptist was a great man. When we read of the Old Testament, we marvel about Daniel. We marvel about Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and how they preached, and how they prayed. And scriptures would point to them being great men. But even though they were great men, John sets out in verse number six to explain to you, there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is unique because he is not only God, but he is the son of God. Even more, the apostle John here in our text wastes no time to clarify some things for you. The person I'm introducing you to in verse number six, John was saying by using the simple word was, there was a man sent from God. By using this word alone, he is declaring that in this man, John, that God sent, there was no divinity in him. He was not God. He had an earthly beginning. He had an earthly end. But also notice this, that in this text here, that he shows this, that John also had a divine qualification. He was sent from God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This word sent is the same word in which we get our English word that we use to say apostle. It means to be commissioned. It means to be sent out under the authority of one. John was commissioned by God to both preach and to baptize and to call the sinner to repentance. Even more, in all of the Gospels, they share this same Greek word, caruso. This word caruso is to set forth the, to paint an imagery for you about what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist in the Old Testament, well, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in this time, if you was the Caruso, remember, it wasn't the day of social media. Nobody was posting on Facebook that Herod Agrippa was going to be in town today. There wasn't live stream. There wasn't CNN. What a peaceful life without fake news. Even more, they, they, there was no person to come and announce that someone had arrived. So the Caruso would be the one who would walk through all of the towns and all of the villages and would herald the arrival of the king. He would let everyone know the king is coming. The king is coming. The king will soon be walking through. This was what they used to emphasize 
who John the Baptist was. He was the Caruso. He was the one who came in on the scene. He announced the arrival of the king. He announced the arrival of the Messiah. He announced to everyone that there is one greater than him that is coming after him. And he didn't point people to himself. He pointed them to Christ. Oh, that this would be the desire of preachers today. I don't know how many times that when uh, older preachers will offer up seasoned words to younger preachers, they often tell us, make much of Christ. You like how I did that? I said us, like I'm still young. And, uh, but they make much of Christ. Lift up Christ. Magnify Christ. Because the problem is, Oftentimes when you first surrender in the ministry and you set out and you realize the Lord's calling you to preach, you set out to make much of yourself so that people will call you to conferences, so that people will call you to revivals. You dream about those things. But instead, Paul or John here set out to make much of Christ. What a truthful ministry. Even as people would, even after John the Baptist would gain fame and, and gain the accolades of people, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Even after all followed him, he wanted the name of Christ to be magnified. I wonder if that's how we feel in our hearts as people hear from us on the day to day, as people hear from us as we teach and preach and herald the word. When they come into our homes, when they come into our lives, do they hear us making much of Christ? There, there was this Caruso is what was given to him. Hear ye, hear ye, the king is coming. And even more, we have that today. Hear ye, hear ye, the king is coming. We understand that the king has already came, but the king, we understand even more, is coming again. Now, what made him special is that he was a man with a mission. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Notice that. On the very onset of this matter, I mean, at the very arrival of Christ, can you see what has already set in the motion? I'm going to read it again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. This is something made very clear, not only to us about John, but to us as a whole. That the way that God had intended for the world to hear about the arrival of his son was through preaching, through people who have placed their faith in him, heralding the great truths that the king has come. Even more in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, we're, we're reminded that Paul said, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by the wisdom knew not God. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Listen, it was, it was preaching. It was preaching that John did that 
shattered the earth. It was preaching that caused people to leave Judea and Jerusalem and come out unto him. It was preaching that caused people to repent of their sins and place their faith in, the, in Christ. And this is preaching that caused them to gather. And I know that there are many who take issue with this today. And there are people, even as we go on in, John, who took issue with it in their day. There were skeptics. There were people who thought it was foolishness. Scripture does not hide that it is very unique, the manner in which God has set out to proclaim his word by the foolishness of preaching. If we're honest with ourselves, we probably have family members who think we're foolish for gathering here week after week, Sunday morning after Sunday morning, Wednesday after Wednesday. Why in the world do you keep gathering down there? I mean, what, to watch a man sit there and stand in the pulpit? I mean, what are you even doing? But we understand that it is through the foolishness of preaching that God has set out before us not only to bring light to the sinner, but also to build us up in our most holy faith. We've gathered here together because this is God's design. Uh, this is his design for the local New Testament church. The preaching of the word was designed to call the sinner to repentance. Now, this was John's purpose. He was a man with a divine mission. But we also understand it started with John, but it didn't end with John. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20 lets us know that the same mission that John had was given to us in the commission when we're called to tell the entire world about what Christ has done. Understand this too. Don't look at this as some kind of job, some kind of burden, some kind of great responsibility that you have to carry around. We must take this opportunity with the same approach and the same excitement that John did. John leaped in the womb when he first had been near Jesus. And for us, it should be a leaping, exciting time to understand this great opportunity to tell the world about the light that has come into it. It's a great opportunity to announce to the world that the king has come and the king is coming. It's a great opportunity to announce to the world that there is freedom from the bondage of sin, that God has given us this light to bear witness to the world. Do you understand what an opportunity this is? He selected you, me. He could have sent angels. He could have sent angels. As a matter of fact, in Revelations, after everything is said and done, and all of his people are gone, the Bible says that he'll send down an angel from heaven, and you know what he's going to do? Preach the gospel. And But for us now in this age, it has been given to us. He could have called the angels to do it. He could have written, written it in the clouds in heaven. He could have put the signature on the mountainside in some mountain in some place in this world and let all sinners know that he sent his son. He could have had the wind do it. As the wind breaks through the trees, he could have had echoing the sweet words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God chose us to preach his message. He chose us to bear the light. He chose us to make it clear that Christ was the light 
of men. Many great men, as we said, have preached. Elijah and Daniel and Noah was a preacher of righteousness himself. But here, they were not the light. This is the emphasis of our ministry. We may be given great oratory abilities. We may be able to tell great stories along the way. We may be given the ability to make people laugh and encourage them. But that does not make us the light. We must not make much of our preachers, but make much of the Christ in whom we serve. John, was, John the Baptist was sent to tell all about the light of men that would soon arrive. Think about this. Uh, they have been told this in the last 400 years. The last 400 years, they had been longing for this moment. Now, I have a friend who his grandfather died. And his, I think his grandpa died, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, maybe longer. But even to this day, when he goes over his grandparents' house, he's always trying to find little cracks and crevices, trying to find this money that his grandpa always told them that they hid. He, he, he just wants to find it. He believes there's this some monster nest egg waiting for him. I believe that after 400 years, this was probably still the mentality of much of Israel. They were longing and looking at every turn for the arrival of the Messiah, for the arrival of the king. I mean, the last they heard in the book of Malachi, the last spoken word the Lord sent to them, he said, I am going to send you a messenger who will clear the way for me. And after four centuries of silence, God sent for John the Baptist to to his people, to herald his coming. The prophet Isaiah said of John the Baptist in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is what they was looking for. This is exactly what they heard. Matter of fact, John's ministry had such an impact, uh, such a movement in the people's life that Mark chapter 1 and verse 5 says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. You hear that? They came unto John the Baptist. They didn't come because of the lights. They didn't come because of the programs. They didn't come because of the social events. They didn't come because of the worship groups. They came because there was a man lifting up Christ. What does he say in John chapter 3? If I will draw, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Even more, he was a great man, according to verse number 8, but he was not the light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. John was not the light, but he pointed 
to the light. Now understand this. What John had done here illustrates just how blind the world is. Blind people cannot see the light. But John's purpose was to preach and to point blind people to the light. This is what Paul said. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Oh, that we should see that the call that has been placed upon us all to preach and to call men to flee from the wrath to come. There were rejectors in this time. We, we've seen that. There were people who rejected it, verse 12 and 13. I mean, emphasizes this. That, I mean, excuse me, verses 10 and 11. That he came into the world and with the world that was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. But verses 12 and 13 gives us great news. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love this. I love the transition between verse 10 and 11 and verses 12 and 13. It all hinges upon that conjunction that is given there for us, but... There were rejectors, but there were people who chose not to receive the word. There were people who despised the message, but there were people who didn't want to hear it, but you see, it is to say that there are many people today who may reject God's word as we preach it. There may be many people today who do not want to hear God's word as we lift it up, but just because there are people who do not want to hear the truths of God's word, it does not frustrate God's plan of salvation. They may reject it. They may not want to do it. But as many as received him, to them he gave them power to become the sons of God. You see, he gave them the power. Listen, we understand that the Lord called these people out of darkness into marvelous light. But this is a joyous situation that even in such a corrupt nation as we live, where it seems that our government is anti-Christ, where it seems that our capital is anti-everything, freedom seeming to be snatched. You can't do this. You can't say that. It's offensive. This, that, and the other. In the face of outright rejection of the word of God, there are some out there who will still receive this message. And of those who receive this message, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So what about John? What, what is our first introduction of John that we've been given here in these verses? John the Apostle sets out to explain to us that John the Baptist was the long-awaited witness to the Word. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, even in Malachi, there was someone who was going to 
come on the scene who was going to be crying out a voice from the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. This was the long-awaited man that God sent. Why is this so important? Because it further emphasizes and draws clarity the continuity in Scripture. It bridges us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. For the Jew, it brings them to the understanding that John the Baptist is the precursor. He is the forerunner that was going to introduce Jesus Christ. For the Jew, for the, I mean, for the Greek, it brought in this understanding that, that God was at work here and he has always been at work throughout history. And it helps us when we arrive, when we're grafted into the vine, when his own didn't receive him. This is when it brought, it, the gospel is then brought to the Gentile and it helps us to connect and understand that the entire word of God is uh, applicable to us even more. Flee from the desire to make greatness of yourself. Make great strides and make great of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Much like John the Baptist, we have been commissioned. We have been given the opportunity. We have been called out of darkness into marvelous light for one purpose. And that was to tell this entire world that the king is yet coming again. It is to help people understand that the the king is on the way. But even more, he emphasizes that there was no greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. But he's because they emphasize the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what makes you great. Not what you achieve in this world, not what your bank account says, not what your boss says about you or none of those things. But what makes us great in this world is that we take the light that has been given to us and shine it to those who cannot see. Call people to the light out of darkness. This was the beginning of John the Baptist. Now, verses 15 on, Lord willing, next week we'll look at the incarnation of the word. But verses 15, study your